I would like people to have the courage who are listening to this podcast right now to take everything they believe and just slide it to the right. Just for a moment, you can, you can go to the right and slide it back. But just take everything you believe and slide it right. What do you now see in front of you when that stuff, when what you believe no longer blocks your view? I believe what you will see is a kind, benevolent world that has been waiting for you to get rid of all of your crap. That's blocking you from seeing the world as it actually is. You don't need to get a mindset change. You don't need that huge moments. All you need is that moment, that moment where you decided, I no longer want to be the Tasmanian devil running from place to place and, and making people feel terrible the whole time. I'm going to go inside. That moment changed everything. Like those pivotal moments. That's what, that's what I'm, I'm involved in. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up, everybody? Thanks for stopping by the show. This is your first time listening. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. Today is the 27th of November. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I was trying to get this out a little bit earlier, but, you know, sometimes you just can't can't get things the way you want it. Uh, I did make it back safely from uh, my trip to uh, up north, crab fishing. Uh, we didn't do as well as we did last year. Uh, out of seven days, we only had four days where we could actually get anything done, weather, and then also set up and break down. So, I mean, we ended up with a little bit over 200 crab. Uh, so, I mean, can't complain. Better than nothing. A lot of theft, though. A lot of people stealing crab out there. Uh, you know, once once you leave your pots or overnight, you come back in the morning empty and so yeah, next year we got we got uh we got some some stuff to try to figure out on on curbing that theft. Let's see. Well, we have a the Indie Pods United virtual summit. That's coming up uh this Sunday. And there's still tickets available to that. Uh if you go to indiepodsunited.com, uh all the info and ticket information will be there. Uh, there'll be over a hundred events. I'm moderating, uh, the event as well as others. Uh, so it's going to be a good, uh, good time. A lot of interesting, uh, shows, a lot of breakout sessions and masterminds, um, that are, will be very informative. And I think it's going to, well, actually, I don't think, I know it's going to be a good time. So if you're interested, head on over to 
IndiePodsUnited.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-P-O-D-S United, U-N-I-T-E-D, dot com. And all the information will be there. If you're getting any value out of this podcast or the content that I'm creating and putting out there, do me a favor, shoot some value back. And that can be in any a number of different ways. You can, if you're, uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, you can go and write a review, subscribe, rate the podcast. All of those things are things that you can do that don't cost money, just a little bit of time. And it helps boost the show's uh, visibility out there uh, in the podcast land. So, I mean, that would be greatly appreciated. You can tell a friend. You can tell a family member. You know, if somebody you know would enjoy, you think would enjoy listening to this podcast, tell them about it. Refer them. That's the best kind of, uh, you know, business that you can, anybody, any company or anything you can get is word of mouth. So definitely, you know, if you're getting something out of this and you know someone that wants or could benefit from listening to this show, let them know about it. Also, there are other ways that you can support the show. If you go to my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash nowhere to go but up. There was is all of the ways to connect to the show through social media, through uh, YouTube channel. Uh, all of these are available at some point on video too. So if you want to see what's going on and not just only hear it, shoot on over to my YouTube channel and you can catch all of the shows there as well. Uh, if you want to support the show monetarily, you can go to PayPal. Uh, you can go to Venmo. You can go to the Cash App. And just tip the show if you want. If you don't feel like subscribing over at Patreon, then just go ahead and drop me a tip. You know, and and that's very easy to do as well. I appreciate all the listeners that I've got. I'm getting close to ten thousand. Should be about ten thousand by by the end of December. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, this episode is Daniel Levin. And it's a pretty deep episode. Uh, it was recorded on May 1st, and <laughs> to my surprise, a lot of it is still relevant um, that we talk about. So Daniel has his own podcast called The Mosaic Podcast, and he also wrote a book called The Mosaic. And it's a really deep conversation. Uh, it had me thinking um, on it as well about some of the way that I do things and the way that I think about stuff. So... I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I enjoyed listening back to it. So without further ado, let's get to the show. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm your host, John Dustin. Today I'm talking with Daniel Levin. And Daniel has a website called themosaiconline.com as well as a book called The Mosaic, I believe. And Daniel wants to talk to us about this Uh this uh, mosaic uh, brand that that you're uh, working on, correct? Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me to do that. You're welcome. But really, what I, I so the I love the idea of your podcast because part of why I wanted to be on it is because the mosaic brand, the mosaic book, is all about this idea that where we are at any given moment is exactly that where we are at any given moment. It is not where we are in our life. And we are one connection away, one piece, like in a mosaic, 
we're one piece away from experiencing an incredibly new reality. And if we, if we allow ourselves to use those pieces that surround us as connecting pieces rather than walls as, that isolate us, we can have a whole new world of things happen. And that's really what I want to talk about today because I love what you're doing is finding those pivotal moments in time where you, where people were at, where I was at, the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, and how we have, through our resilience and through life situations, we bounce back up to do everything we were supposed to do. Absolutely. I mean, that's just that's just the part of being a human, right? You know, and, and that that we don't come with a manual. We have to make up that manual as we go. Oh, you didn't come with a manual. I got I got a manual when I checked in. Well, uh, I got I, I I was looking for a manual and an itinerary, and I didn't get either of them. So you know, I want my money back. <laughs> I think we should go together. Let's create a "We Want Our Money Back" manual movement. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag We Want Our Money Back from the manual movement. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's the basis of it, man. You know, we, we, we didn't come with these things. And if you're lucky enough, you've got some parents that are, that were attentive enough to you as a child and, and were teaching you these things. Um, you know, but as busy as people are, you know, when I grew up, it was, you know, broken homes were a common theme. You know, I think it was, you know, divorces were on the rise. Uh, you know, the, the fathers were no longer in the homes. They were being removed. Not in my home, but I mean, I'm just talking in general in that time. Yeah. Uh, from the war on drugs, you know, a lot of fathers ended up in prison because all they were trying to do was just feed their families, you know, whether they were selling drugs I, or not, you know, that's. I grew up in, I grew up in the era before that and it was a gentler time. It was a time where, so, you probably don't even know this TV show, Ozzy and Harriet. I've heard where, of it. Okay, so Ozzy and Harriet was the classic. The dad goes out to work. The mom is at home making cookies for the kids when they come home from school. They sit around the dinner table and everything. The biggest problems they ever had are, you know, little problems, not compared. They did a study years ago, and they asked fourth grade students what they were most scared of. And in the 60s, fourth grade students said they were most scared of coming home and telling their mom and dad they got a D on their report card. <laughs> in, the, in the 90s, they were scared about nuclear war. In the 2020s, they were scared they were going to get shot at school. Hmm. Look at the difference of where we have devolved from. You know, the innocence of getting a D on your report card. That's the, that was the time that I grew up in where, you know, God forbid we got a D on our report card. We were, we, we had, we had happy, beautiful homes that we lived in. And I, and then I don't know, probably, uh, I don't know what happened to be honest. I certainly don't know what happened to bring us to where we are right now. Well, I mean, it was a, a, if you want to ask me, uh, I would say it was a population that was asleep, you know, uh, or, or, or just so consumed with something else that they didn't realize what, you know, what, what was happening around them and what, how much power that they were giving, you know, they, they were giving away. Cause now, now we're in a situation that where, you know, it's, uh, the, the train has, has gotten too big and too fast and, and, uh, we're having a hard time stopping it. 
So I love that that's what you feel. And I, and, and I make my livelihood by listening to people and, 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 and understanding why they think what they think. And also by this beautiful moment where we can agree and I can, I can accept and validate that that is what you feel, but I can have a completely different point of view. I believe, I believe those times were times of real sheer innocence. It wasn't the time of repression at all. It was a time of just innocence where, where we held up, we held a certain dignity to our lives. We, I, I remember the first time, well, I remember seeing John F. Kennedy drive by in a motorcade through my neighborhood. And we lived in a lower middle class neighborhood in Philadelphia. And he drove down the central street that, that was about a block away from my house, half a block. And I went out to see him and there was all this talk that it was the first time a Catholic had was running for president. And I went back to my mom. This is how innocent I was. I went back to my mom because we our four block neighborhood was pre- predominantly Jewish people. And I went back to my mom and I said, wow, mom, is does that all the other presidents up until this point have been Jewish? <laughs> because that's what I just believed, because I, we lived in these <laughs> we lived in these beautifully protected environments yeah. where the way we saw the world was was protected and innocent and and I believe it was a it was a really a beautiful time the time that time evolved into the time of the 60s and the 70s where even the music was like my parents went crazy when we when I became a hippie <laughs> but, but the and the music to my mind now was so much more innocent the drugs were so much more innocent than they were the conversations were around love not war versus the conversations that are around now that are just like everything is up for grabs there's nobody the internet has made all of our lives less private mm. we've robbed ourselves of our ability to have any sort of distancing or or i mean i think part of what's happening with covid19 the social distancing is a message to us to just get some distance back in our lives. It's not like, it's not okay that we know everything about everybody and we can, we can knock them down at any moment. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to hear what you think. Not, I don't, I don't think you're wrong at all, but I also, I mean, you know, my life's pretty, I'm pretty transparent. Listen to my podcast. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't hide anything. Um, and that's by design. Uh, I spend a lot of time in my life hiding from a lot of things, you know, whether it was hiding from myself, hiding from my behaviors, hiding my behaviors from other people, um, you know. So, Sean, let me interrupt you a minute. Why? Why did you spend a lot of your time hiding? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's because I just didn't like who I was. But I didn't know how to how to become somebody else. You know what I mean? I, I didn't I didn't I didn't know how to become somebody that I liked. So I continued going down roads that that just re reinforced the way that I felt about myself and uh, allowed me to just stay stuck in the situation that I was because it was like, all right, well, I mean, you know, I'm not 
why, why should I do anything different? I don't have anything to lose. And so, it, and, and I was having fun too. And so there was a lot of that that was involved. I was having fun, but I didn't like how I felt, didn't like who I was, tried to be other people all the time, got into, you know, all kinds of different stuff. So, so yeah. if, if, if I'm an outsider and I'm listening to your conversation right now, which I am and I am, I am an outsider. I met you all of about 18 seconds ago and I am listening to what you're saying. Do you remember overhead projectors? Mm-hmm. I do. Do you remember the plastic sheets that you would put on an overhead projector and they mm-hmm. would cast an image on the wall in front of you? Yeah, teachers used them all the time to try to explain uh, math and other other things. So let's use an overhead projector for a moment. I I didn't like who I was. One plastic sheet. I was having tons of fun as doing things that I was doing. I didn't know how to be somebody else. What do those images portray to you on the wall that you see in front of you? Confusion. Okay. So a lot of the work that I do with people, which is really, which is really beautiful, fulfilling, deep work, is that we can't find ourselves by trying to be somebody else. We can't, we can't make statements by saying that I hate who I am when we don't even know who we are. And so what, what I try and do with people is sit with people and say, look, I don't want you to build a house in your pain. For, God, for God's sake, I don't want you to live in your pain. But I want to walk with you through that valley of pain so that we can take a look at what's causing that pain so that you can get to know what it is and you can carry it out and just put it into the trash can because it's no longer valuable to you. Because until we free ourselves of the pain that we feel, it's like having a glass with, with a, a, a glass that's empty, but at the bottom of the glass is poison. No matter what nectar we put into the glass, it's still going to poison us because there's poison at the bottom. Until we go and clean out the poison from that glass, until we get rid of it, until we, in my book, there's a character called the, the gardener. And the gardener says, when, when Mo, the main character, says, why is your garden so beautiful? Like I smelt it from a village away. And the aroma brought me right here to this garden. And when I look at it, it's the most beautiful garden I've ever seen. And the gardener says to him, well, anybody knows that if you put the right colors together, you're going to make, they're going to make each other look better. And he says, no, no, I know that. I've seen that in every other garden, but there's something more. And the gardener thinks for a minute and says, well, maybe it's because we've put texture in it by putting smaller flowers in front of larger flowers. And Mo says, no, no, it's not that. And the gardener thinks for a minute and he says, Mo, have you ever gardened? And he said, yeah, a little bit, but, but not that much. I helped some friends weed their garden. And the gardener says, great. When you get to that clump of weeds, when you pull it out and it breaks and you know you haven't gotten the root out, but you know it breaks and it looks okay from the, from the surface, what do you do? And he said, well, I don't have time to do anymore. I'm just trying to weed and make it look okay, you know, trying to level it out so it's just all the weeds aren't just growing big. And the gardener says, so then when you water your garden, what happens is the weeds that suffocate your flowers, the roots of the weeds that suffocate the flowers, grow and get stronger just like the flowers do. 
And until you pull out the weeds, those things that cause you the pain and suffering in your garden, in your life, you're never going to have a garden that looks beautiful and full. And so I'm a gardener, he said. All I do is I see that when I pull out that clump, I have nothing better to do. So I just take my little shovel and I dig down until I get to the root of the weed. And now that the root of the weed is gone, it can't strangle any other flowers. I can water, I can water my garden and all that will grow is the flowers. Does that make sense to you? It does. Uh, I, it, 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 and I was thinking about, a. uh, in a way that so people people in your life can actually be that same way and i used to and i've used this analogy for myself because i was i was this uh person that so you know how there's people that have that are just really bright people you know what i mean their their sure. their personality is bright they're they're happy they're energetic they're uh they're they're full of life um and I was this dark, you know, because I was in a dark place. I was this darkness, right? And yeah. whenever I would come into somebody's, uh, not everybody, but I mean, like I'm using my ex-wife for an example. Uh, you know, she was, uh, I, I came into her life and I was like a darkness that was suffocating her light. You know what I mean? And it was overpowering it and it was, uh, you know, that's just the kind of uh, energy that I had at at that point when I was in my deepest addiction and, and going through what I was going through. And it wasn't anything that I was trying to do. It's just that's just what I was. You know, what I mean, it's like a Tasmanian devil that just and everything, I, everything I touched just turned to chaos. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I started looking uh, the other instead of looking out here for the problems, I had to start looking inside and going, okay, well, the common denominator is, is, is you. So you're the problem. Now you need to fix it. And it's been a, it's been a struggle and a journey, man. And I mean, it's been like 40, 40 something years and, you know, I'm just now getting this. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I, I definitely am happy that it's better late than never, but, Oh, that was you. I'm like, look, I'm looking at mine. Yeah. I'm like, Sorry. like, shut up. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so. I mean, it's been a long journey. You know, of of like ups and downs and 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 failings and 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 successes and you know, just trying to just trying to put all of the components together to to make this uh, machine run right. You know. Yeah. So they tell a beautiful story in Zen, and the the teacher is sitting with his disciples and the, and the teacher is getting old and the disciples ask him, can you please tell us before you leave, before you transition, can you please tell us how many more lifetimes we have left? And he goes around one by one and he says, you know, you'll be enlightened this lifetime and you have five more lifetimes and you have two more lifetimes and you have three and you have one more lifetime and you have this, he gets to his, he gets to his closest, closest disciple and he and he goes to him last and he says you have just celebrate you only have a thousand more lifetimes to live <laughs> and all the other disciples are like oh my god we feel so bad for him all of us are going to be enlightened in one five lifetime and here's here's who we thought was the best disciple he ever had and he's he, and they're all lamenting and, and feeling bad for him and they look over in the corner and he's dancing and celebrating. And they come up to him and they say, what are you, crazy? 
Didn't you hear what the teacher said? The teacher said, you have a thousand more lifetimes. Why are you dancing and celebrating? And he looks at them and he says, didn't you hear what the teacher said? In a thousand more lifetimes, I'll be liberated. I'm dancing and celebrating because it's only a thousand lifetimes. How beautiful is that? <laughs> and, and the teacher walks over them in the midst of it all and says, do you see what a real disciple's like? And he taps him on the forehead and he's enlightened in that moment. And so all, what, I, what, I, what I believe is that everything in life is a matter of the perspective that we look at it in. And the perspective of, we can either say we've been struggling and it's been hard and it's been so difficult and we've had such a, and it's only now that we're getting to this place that we're getting to. Or we can say, oh my God, we've gone through so many things and now, now look at the life we see. We can see it totally different. We've had a perspective shift. We can now see something. This is the greatest moment that's ever happened. And now with this new perspective, I'm going to enter into every other part of my life, which is so beautiful and so powerful and will change everything that I see. Wayne Dyer says to people, when you change the way you see the world, the world you look at changes. And so... Why not take that perspective, Sean? Why not say, yeah, like we've had some things we've gone through. We've gotten our pants dirty. We've, we've fallen down a lot. But every single time we've gotten up and now look where we are. Look at this beautiful moment that we're in and look what's possible. Look what we can do now. How fabulous. Sounds you good. A perspective shift? I do. I do. And and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and I, I it, it's... That's a train. That's a trained uh, behavior, though. You know what, what you're talking. The perspective. It's like you got to learn how to train yourself to look at it in a different in a different light. Because and what if you didn't? What if you just could let go of every? Here's a beautiful practice that I would like everybody here to to participate in. I would like people to have the courage who are listening to this podcast right now to take everything they believe and just slide it to the right. Just for a moment, you can you can go to the right and slide it back. But just take everything you believe and slide it right. What do you now see in front of you when that stuff, when what you believe no longer blocks your view? I believe what you will see is a kind, benevolent world that has been waiting for you to get rid of all of your crap. It's blocking you from seeing the world as it actually is. You don't need to get a mindset change. You don't need that huge moments. All you need is that moment, that moment where you've decided, I no longer want to be the Tasmanian devil running from place to place and, and making people feel terrible the whole time. I'm going to go inside. That moment changed everything. Like those pivotal moments, that's what that's what I'm I'm involved in. I'm involved in helping people find and 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 give value to those pivotal moments where in a moment, it doesn't take a lot of work. We've been taught if you don't work hard, you're not going to get, get any gains. It's going to, it's hard to change. It's this, it's, it isn't, it's really the simplest thing in the whole world. All we have to do is get out of our own way and see and allow this fresh new energy to come into us. And when that new energy comes into us, it gets rid of it. It flushes out everything else. But if your cup is full with water, and you try and put something new into it, it just goes onto the floor. So we just have to empty ourselves. 
And yeah, maybe we're scared to empty ourselves because the world's so big and talks about how great they are and how full they are and look how, look how much I've done and look how good I am doing and look at how all this stuff is happening. It takes a humble, beautiful man or woman to say, you know, something, my strength comes in my emptiness. Because the more empty I am, the more I allow this energy to fill me. And when that energy fills me, I'm filled with something so beautiful, so dynamic, so powerful, that what I thought was impossible moments ago is now so incredibly possible. Because something greater than me is filling me. Yeah, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense what you're saying. Um, and I will try that instead of giving you an excuse why I can't. I love you for that. I will take a look at it and I will try to look at things a little bit differently then. I Email will... me and let me know how you do. Okay. Okay. Because, look, to me, that's what the mosaic is. The mosaic is what happens all too often is we identify with one piece at one moment. And that piece defines us for the rest of our life. But the mosaic isn't made up of one piece. It's made up of a collection of pieces. It's made up of of a lot of pieces that one connects to the other, that connects to the other, that connects to the other. And when we allow the totality of all the pieces of our life to fit together to create that beautiful mosaic, we see that the pieces had to be exactly the way they are to make this beautiful artistry exist. The book for me is, a, is the story about probably my lowest moment in my life. That was when my parents passed away two years apart on the same day, July 4th. I was 13 and 15. And I had no idea. I, my dad was my hero. I lost the greatest, the greatest being that I had ever known. We, we, I was his mini me before mini me were even invented. We would walk down the beach at the at, at Atlantic City on the boardwalk, and I would hold his his ring finger. And I was a little guy, and he was he was big. I was maybe four years old, and people would stop and look at us and point to us and just smile. Because the way he waddled was exactly the way I waddled. The way he moved was exactly the way I moved. And people couldn't believe it. They was, there was like, how is this possible that this little guy is a complete representation? But that's how much I, that's how much I looked up to my dad. Everything about him was who I wanted to be. And at 13 years old, he got taken from me. And I felt as empty as I could possibly feel. My mom, two years later, just missing my dad so much died on exactly the same day. She willed her death. I read in her journal on July 2nd, just a couple more days now. She, she knew that she, she could go because she wanted to be with him. And yet that moment brought me into a whole new reality because my mom's sister had married one of the, a very, very, very wealthy men. He was a household name. And we went and we moved from the East Coast to the Midwest and we didn't know them very well at all. And, and I lived with them for a few years. And, and they were kind enough to say to me, we see something in you that might be possible for you to take over our company. We're going to mentor you. We're going to start you pushing a broom. And we're going to mentor you to my seat 10 years, 15 years from now. I looked at them and I just said, after a year, 
of watching him and watching the life he had and asking him questions, I said, this isn't for me. And I walked away from the possibility of running a billion dollar company to put my thumb out on the road and hitchhike <laughs> to find inner peace and happiness. Everybody to this day still thinks I'm crazy. But for me, it was the only thing possible. Because when I wrote the book, The Mosaic, realized is I, when my parents passed away, I asked the adults where they were. And they told me they were in a place called heaven. So as a kid, I set out in search of the place called heaven. And as beautiful as that opportunity was here on earth, it wasn't what I came here for. I was looking for the place called heaven. And it wasn't a heaven. And so I had to leave. And it makes such sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to anybody else, but it makes such sense to me. Well, we all have we all have different callings, you know. Um, you yeah. you obviously saw something that that you know in in the interaction, uh, you know, and how and probably how busy he was, and and what you know what a what a the life of a of a somebody who runs a billion dollar company, you know. It, for some people, that's that's great, but for others, like for me, I would be like, eh, I probably wouldn't want to do it either because there's there's way more. There's way more to life than than acquisitions and and uh, you know like like yeah. material acquisitions. You know, it's I, I tried for that, and you know, it just it, it, there was never any solace in it. You know, it was uh, the acquisitions that I'm I'm most grateful for now are the personal acquisitions that I make in the connections that I have with the people that I meet. And my, my family and my daughter and, you know, the things that really make a difference in my life and my, my space, my dog, you know, just the, the little yeah. things. Like somebody was asking me, you know, to me, wealth isn't about, isn't about money. Wealth is about, um, how you feel, you know, yeah. how you feel and how you interact with the world around you. That's what yeah. makes you wealthy. And, and you're astute because part of the reason that I couldn't do it is I watched what what my uncle ended up feeling is that people didn't like him for who he was. They liked him for what he had. Children, that the same thing. People aren't going to like you for you. They're going to like you for, for your last name. And so he had three daughters and, and for him to teach them I said to him, why would you want to give me the gift of not having people like, of feeling like people don't like me for who I am, but liking me for what I have? Why would you want to give my children the gift of not feeling that they're ever loved? They're just loved for the amount of money and the last name they have. And finally, I said to him, see things from pushing a broom to sitting in your chair that I think could be changed and adapted and made better. Would I have the freedom to do that? And he said, Danny, you don't, you don't, you don't something that isn't broken. So why would you do that? Like, this is, this is a dollar company. Do you think you're going to, you're going to make it better? <laughs> and, and so I said, you know, yeah, I do actually. And I think, but you don't. And so I can never be happy living your life. I would rather be happy 
finding my life and living that, whatever that is, there has money or not money involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you're a likable person, you know what I mean? You don't, you know, I, I listened to a podcast of a guy named uh free man fly and uh, you know, he's, he's a hippie kind of guy too. And, and he just, you know, one day just packed up his, uh, his uh, Volkswagen bus and decided that him and his buddy are going to just, you know, go, we got no money. We got a little yeah. bit of money for gas and, you know, so, you know, so a little bit of food and they just took off and they, and they went. And, you know, if you're a likable person and you're willing to, you know, be helpful in any situation that you're in, there's always going to be somebody who's willing to help you in return. Totally. You know, it's funny you say that story because before COVID-19, today was the day I drew the line in the sand that I was going to head out in my in, a, in either a car, bus, train, and I was going to tour around the U.S. for starters for one year, sitting on street corners, going in bookstores, sitting in cafes, going to convention centers, talking to government officials, talking to policemen, talking to Ku Klux Klan, talking to Black Lives Matters people, and just listening to the voices of those people who don't feel heard. And I was about, today was the day I, would, I was going to leave. And then, you know, they have a saying in Judaism, man plans and God laughs. Uh, because then you're COVID-19 and we're social distancing and we can't go out. And we can't be, yeah. you know, so that's not, it's been postponed for a while, but that trip is still is still there. I had, I put a, uh, a post on Facebook of this is what, what I'm thinking to do. And I had four people say, come and stay with us. We'll put you up. We'll, we'll create a, you know, and people are just so kind. But one of the things that I wanted to do was to create a documentary of what the voice of the voiceless would say if they had if they had voice. And I wanted to show people how beautifully mean people are, even people that appear kind when you actually listen to them. Tell you a story. Well, I mean, how oh, you froze up a little bit there. Oh, sorry. Can I tell you a story? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, I have the honor of having a 30-year-old developmentally daughter, but it wasn't always. Sometimes she was she was almost impossible. For those of people watching on video, every gray hair in, in my beard and in my hair comes as a result of something involving her, probably not, you know, other people, but a lot, her. She doesn't have the ability to speak like you and I speak. So when she tries to say something, it's very hard to understand because I've been with her all her life. I understand better than most people. And when she says something, I don't understand her. She'll raise her voice and yell. And sometimes to her credit, in changing her to air her volume, she actually changes her pronunciation and I get something. So sometimes her yelling actually helps me, not because I couldn't hear it, but because her inflections change. But most of the time, not. Most of the time, now it's yelling that I can't understand. When she yells and she doesn't get it hurt, she throws a tantrum. That can be in the middle of a supermarket. It could be at, go out at a dinner at a restaurant. It can be when friends are over at the house. It can be dinner. It can be anytime, anywhere, any place. And when that doesn't work, she actually tries to attack me. She can. She'll try and either bite me or rip my shoe something because she's that frustrated understood 
First point, everybody I meet the same thing. People I work with in government, in business, CEOs of companies, employees in companies, every single person acts the same way. When they don't get heard, they raise their voice and they yell. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create chaos and see and just disrupt and try and do something that will that will stop things in its in its trail. When they do that, they attack. People stand in buildings and shoot in town squares or blow up a building or shoot in a mall or destroy a marriage or destroy a person's reputation. After 15 years of this happening almost every day, not every day, off and on, but sometimes as many as 10 times a day. Finally, I said to her, Elisa, you know how badly I want to hear you. I understand you. I don't understand your words. Can you talk to me in a way that doesn't use words? And she, in perfect English, with a big smile on her face, said, I am daddy. I said, what the heck do you mean you are? What are you talking about? I said, how are you talking to me? And she took her index finger and she put it to the side of her head, which meant to me that she was telling me she was putting thoughts in my head. She was transferring her thoughts from her mind to my mind because her 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 ability to speak was not given to her. As soon as I understood that, I said, you little son of a gun, you're putting thoughts in my head. And she started laughing and started laughing. And it was that contagious laughter that goes on for minutes. And we, we I, I thought it was hours or weeks that we were laughing so much because as soon as one of us stopped, the other started. And we just kept going and going. It was probably about five minutes long, but five minutes of laughing is a long time if you ever if you haven't if you haven't laughed. Like that's it's forever. I said, now I know. Whenever you can I can't understand you, just put a thought in my head and I'll listen, okay? Do you know that was about six years ago? From that point on, she's never once yelled. She's never once tantrum. She's never once tried to destroy, tried to attack. All of us have the ability to tune into what the person is saying. And when we actually listen to what they're saying, and we act, look for a way to communicate, and even if we can't hear them with our ears, when we find another way to do it, everything, all all discipline, all war, all separation, all anger dissolves because you don't have to yell at me anymore. I, I understand you. In my life, I've had the opportunity to meet and be with the richest people in the world, have dinner at their tables, be enjoy conversations in their homes, meet their kids, meet their parents. And I've also had the brilliant opportunity to sit on the street corners with the, with the poor. Do you know, no matter who they are, no matter how much money they are, no matter what they call their home, the beautiful, biggest, beautiful mansion entity or the, or the piece of cardboard that's worn out from you sit, sitting on it over and over again, no matter what color their skin, no matter what religion they practice, no matter what border they live behind, all of us want the same thing. We want to be loved and accepted. We want to be listened to and heard. We want to be validated and acknowledged. Not one person in my years of life has said to me, Danny, I want you to They don't. Nobody cares about that. If they feel listened to and heard, validated, accepted, 
care if I agree with them. They know the right to my own agree, uh, points of view just like they do. When will we realize that just like a mosaic sometimes connects piece to piece like this, just corner of one piece to the corner of the have to agree on anything on everything. When we can find that one point of agreement, it makes the whole artistry of the mosaic continuous whole. If we can do that in art, why can't we do that in human relations? And that's my goal. Yeah, that's a uh, that's the million dollar question, right? Well, hopefully, if it's if it's a million dollar question, then you on and we'll make some money doing it. Yeah, I have a. Uh... Uh, one of the guys on uh, that I interviewed, he's been on twice now. Uh, his name's Eric Maddox. Shout out to the uh, Latitude Adjustment Podcast. Uh, he's kind of does that. He goes around, but he goes into other areas. Like he's uh, in uh, Greece. He went to Greece to see what the the uh, the refugee uh, crisis in Morea on the island of Lesbos, yeah. and uh, he's you know, yeah, he's in there and just you know being going to the places himself, talking to the people, hearing them, uh, trying to understand, yeah. you know, what, what, and, and get other people to understand what life is like for a refugee, you know, and, and the same thing. And it's just, it, the basis of what you're talking about, I believe starts with, with curiosity. Yes. You know, curiosity it, and listening, you know, and my, my trip if I if I can make it successfully, I'm 65 now, not 18, like I was when I hitchhiked the first time around the world. If I can if I can do it successfully now for a year in America, my goal is my life and travel around the world and do just making documentaries. Dude, I love documentaries. Uh, I wish there were more of them. You know that. Well, I'll give you a good one to watch pretty soon. Hopefully, as soon as we get out on the road and start doing it. Awesome, and I'll be happy to to promote it for you. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I, can't, I really, that's all I, I watch these days. If I watch anything, it's going to be either something, a documentary on Netflix or YouTube or, or something that, that, you know, it's not mainstream media. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the impact that we can have on another human being is so big. You said it when you as money and devil running around in a bad mood, making everybody feel bad. <laughs> but, but what also happens is when we feel good, we are also contagious like this COVID-19. And just like the disease, the infection, the, the, the virus is contagious, there is a virus of love that is also contagious that infects, that affects every single being in the world. I had an opportunity to sit with a, a brother of mine a, a, who's now my friend. He's, he's, he's my brother now. But when I sat with him, I didn't know him from Adam. And I was walking down the street, and I have this empathic ability to feel people sometimes. And I was walking down the street, and I would feel the pain of different people as they walked by. And it was just too much. I felt someone, someone's heart murmur, and I felt someone's back pain. And I felt someone's knees, and I, I crumbled to the ground because I felt their pain in my body. And so I slithered over to the corner where this guy was sitting, a homeless guy. And he first defended his property. He said, you know, this is my spot. Find another spot. I said, no, no, I'm not here. To, I'm not here to collect any money. Like anything we make here, like I'll, I'll double whatever you got here. I just need to sit. And you think your pain is a lot. It's way worse out there where, where I'm. I just want to sit by you for a little bit. And so I sat with him and we spent some time together. And over the course of time, I, 
I, we just started talking and he opened up to me and I said, if there was one thing that you could tell the world as a homeless man, what would you say? And he would, and he said, he thought about it for a moment. He said, if people would only take 10 minutes out of the course of their life to sit with someone they don't know, just like you're doing here and just ask them how they are, the world would change. And I said, Corey, out of all the things that you could say, you're homeless. Out of all the things that you want, you don't want a shelter. You don't want food. You don't, he said, no, I just this. And I said, why is that that's so important to you, Corey? And he said, Danny, you don't know this. You don't know me from Adam. But about three weeks ago, I was sitting here and I was so, so depressed and so down. People walk by and they spit on me or they kick me or they beat me up. And, and I just felt like, what am I doing here? Like, I'm not, do, I'm not contributing in any way. I'm just a bum on a street and people hate me and they beat me up and they spit on me and they kick me. I'm just going to go this evening around the corner where it's dark. It gets dark and I'm just going to take my life. And he said, not two minutes after I had that thought, somebody put their hand on my shoulder. And they said, brother, how are you doing? And I started to cry and I said, not well. And he sat down next to me and he just listened to me. You know, it only 10 minutes for me to know what was going on and for me to just in sharing with him what I was feeling to feel better. I've never seen him before, but he doesn't know. And I'll never, I've never seen him again. And he has no idea that he saved my life, that I didn't kill myself because someone now cared enough about me. Well, here's the amazing thing. Corey has no idea that what he did to me set me in course to trip around the world to just spend 10 minutes with people asking him how they're doing. He'll never know. Just a 10-minute story impacted my whole life and my life purpose to just listen to people and film them. What impact can we have on people? Well, what? What what you're explaining is is you know you're you're seeing you you see him, you know what I mean, and and people want to be you know not only understood uh, and 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 um, made to feel uh, like they're valued in some way, but just to to see me, you know what I mean, not 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 look at me. I, I can I can you and I can look at each other all day long, but do you really see me? Do you see who I am, where, where I came from, what, what my pain possibly could be? You know, people just want to be seen. And, uh, so to, to go along with what you're saying, I, you know, I, I've experienced this and I try to do this, uh, when I, and not, and not to take away from, from your message, cause that was pretty deep, man. I had, uh, I had, uh, some, 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 some tears welling up in there, uh, you know, when you're explaining that, um, what I had had experienced and uh, was a lot of times in life, we just were going through it and, you know, we're in our own space. We're in our own place uh, it, it mentally um, just going through the, the motions of life. And, you know, every once in a while there will be somebody who takes the time if you're lucky uh, and will, see the potential you have in yourself that you can't see yourself. Right. And 
I've, I've had that happen to me and to get me into uh, the trade that I'm in, somebody took the time that I was working with and said, Hey, you know, you, you, you should be doing something different. You know, you, you, you're pretty smart, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that. Why don't you go over here and try to get involved in this? Uh, you know, you're going to make better money. It's going to be a, a, a longer lasting career for you than what you're doing. And I'd never thought anything about it, but just that one person telling me who I didn't know from Adam. I mean, there's been people around my whole life telling me I had potential, but there's this stranger that I'd had no idea who, you know, why you yeah. would say that, but it, it took, you know what I mean? It, it, it took hold and I'm like, okay. And then I did it and it was probably the best decision I made in my life. And now, yeah. And, and now what I do is I do the same thing. I try to pay that forward. When I see somebody who, who I think has potential, I'll stop and I'll say, Hey, you know, uh, did you ever think you're, you're pretty smart? You know, the same thing. I just try to, you know, give people the encouragement that, that they may not know about themselves. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I love that, that you came through the story because that's what I felt. I felt like one of the things that I learned is that rather than sit and wait for somebody to do that for me, that I can become a stranger. I can become that one that comes that sits with people and just listens to them. We don't have to fix people. We don't have to suggest anything. We don't have to change them. Nobody's broken. Nobody, nobody needs us to come and make their life better or help them or do all that stuff. All we need is to just come together and be with each other and love each other and listen to each other and support each other. And, and just in the course of a day, what would happen if we just spent 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a week, 10 minutes a month, and sat with someone we don't know and just said, hey, how are you? And really listened to their response. Just we're present with them. We don't what would happen would be this beautiful thing where people would feel cared for and loved. And when you feel cared for and loved, when I met my wife, I was at one of the lowest points in my life. And she just, her love was so strong that it made me feel like I could do anything in the world. I, I, I felt like I could conquer, conquer demons and worlds because she just loved me that much. And I said to her, why do you love me? I'm at the lowest point in my life. And she said, I've never anybody asked me why I love them. I love you because I love you. We don't have to have any ulterior motive. We just love because that's the sheer joy, the sheer beauty of just why we're here on earth is to love one another. But somewhere along the line, in that move from the 60s to the, to the tw 20s, we've forgotten and we just have built these walls of separation. And now we point out how different we are and how bad those people are and how much we're this. And what we need to do is come back to what we know. We're all connected. When we stand together, we can do more. We learned growing up as a kid, united we stand, divided we fall. Why spend all of our time dividing each other? Let's spend our time uniting each other and see what we do when we stand together. What would we be able to accomplish if we walked together rather than divided? In our constitution in America, it starts with three words, we the people. I've never lived in a we the people world. I've lived in a, in 
these people up here tell me what to do. The go- that's government, that's self-help people, that's religious people, that's educational people, that's medical people. All the time, there's this vertical reality. Well, what would happen if we created a horizontal reality where we didn't need to fix people or change people? We just needed to stand together and be a we the people. What would it look like? How would that change the way we make decisions? How would it change the way we show up in the world? When we, when we just were with each other, accepting and loving and validating and acknowledging, it doesn't mean that I have to agree with you. I have some of my closest friends have some belief systems that I think, oh my God, how do they think like that? I mean, I can't, I, I would never in a million years, but I love them to death. I would take a bullet for him if I if if it if it came to the, be that case because that's how much I love him. I don't believe like them, but I love him. When when did it happen that the way we believed took over the way we love, versus the way we love taking over what we believe? Who cares what we believe? Let's just love each other. Give each other this to feel and believe whatever they believe. You have every right in the world to believe exactly in the world that you want to believe in. And so do I. And in that, we come together and we speak to each other and you show me the world that you see. And I show you the world that I see. And that's called innovation, where we see something we never saw before. How beautiful is that? Oh, it's a great, it's a great way to, uh, a goal to, to want to achieve, you know, especially now that everybody's, you know, on a timeout. Uh, you know, reflecting a lot of consumption of, of, of this kind of content, you know, it, it's, and people are, are, you know, picking up their old, their old hobbies, their old, uh, you know, passion projects. They're trying to see those through now because they got nothing better to do. Or, you know, maybe they do have something better to do, but this is more important. Uh, or, you know, whatever it is, when we come out of this, I think that's a great goal to achieve. Totally. You know? Totally. We've got some, uh, we've got some work to do. Uh, we're not going to be able to, to change anything, uh, drastically on this election cycle, but hopefully the next one we can, uh, start planning and figuring it out, you know, to get with, uh, a leader that's more in line with the population than the, the corporation. Well, I think until we stop blaming and so we stop separating, even in those statements, we just have we just have to come together because I, I believe there will come a time where um, electing presidents will disappear, where we the people will come together and find find ways to make decisions for us that we can support and we choose we choose what we want to work on, how we want to work on it, and we fund it ourselves. By and I have a system for that. That if you go on the mosaiconline.com and look at them and look at Swarm, you'll see something that I'm starting, which is bringing people together of all different types, create a new paradigm. Bucky Fuller said, "You can't create, you can't change the problems of this world with the thinking of this world." I think Einstein said something similar. You have to create a new paradigm that makes the old paradigm obsolete. That's what we're in the process of doing creating a new paradigm that allows us to make decisions faster, better, bolder, taking more risks and by, by coming together and supporting each other in the way we make decisions. It's a fabulous world that's coming. So more like a, a crowdfunded 
a, a, a crowd a crowd funded society? Uh, it's called it's called a swarm. And what, if you look at the way birds fly, they fly in with a with a with a connected mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, do. they all move in synchronicity with each other. If you look at the way fish swim in a school, they move too quickly. It's not like they're following a leader. They couldn't do it because it, it, it's they move collectively as one mind that, that shows them where they're going, and and they and they do it the way bees build the hive. Same thing. Well, human mind has the ability to swarm as well. When we get away from the, it's like everything that I was saying, when we move to the right, all that we believe and allow a new belief system to come in, there might just be the possibility that I'm working with these people that are using artificial intelligence to help the mind think in a swim capacity. And they're finding tremendous success in the way they're things and they're, and they're getting on very provable results are far better than experts in the field or, or, um, or groups of, of of knowledgeable people that are saying what they think should do. Individuals who have no knowledge on it, but just have an inkling to, to do something like that, or picking situations, answers to predictive analysis situations that are much higher percentage than experts in the field. We are stronger together, but we forgot that. We are better together, but we forgot that. United we stand, divided we fall. We the people, the United States of America. How many more sort of sort of symbols for languaging do we need to tell us what we believe in? We're not the United States of America now. We haven't been for a long time. We're the divided states of America. Yeah. yeah. And, and and maybe COVID nineteen gives us a timeout. And says, what do you want to believe? Pollution's on the decline. The Ganges in India, which is, was such a polluted river, is now 50% cleaner in just three weeks. The people are seeing Himal- the Himalayas from 200 kilometers away that they haven't seen in, in hundreds of years because the pollution is down. Really? Adam, yeah. Wow. At, in just two weeks or three weeks' time. We're not dumping waste into rivers. We're not, we're not running factories that are spout, spouting off chemicals into the air. The earth needs a rest and it put us on timeout so it could get a rest. And the change that it's making is drastic. And so when we go inside ourselves and stop polluting our own thought systems, what are we possible? What are we able to create? Anyway, you see, I could go on forever. I'm a, I'm a, but we're running out of time. We've run no. out of time. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Usually, usually, usually I'm, I'm, I'm chatty Cathy on these damn things. And, you know, you, and somebody, you know, when I'm, when I'm quiet is usually when somebody has my attention and I'm listening and I'm, and I'm, I'm absorbing what it is that you're saying and, and processing it. And I mean, I, I agree. And you know what? You're right. There are, you know, just in the, the statement that the last statement I said before you, you went to that you know, into your, uh, what you were talking about. Um, I, 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 under, I understand, I understand what you yeah. mean, you know, and- we just have to catch ourselves. We have such a, we've, it's become so natural for us to criticize and separate and, and, and defend and attack. We just have to now make it, make a conscious choice to embrace, unify, understand that we are all connected. Science, quantum physics is telling us 
that we're not made up of these forms, these bodies. If you look under a microscope at this body, you won't see matter. You'll see energy. You'll see swirls of energy moving all through the body. Well, that energy is unifies us and unites us so that, and it travels at speeds that we can't even imagine so that what you're inhaling right now, I just exhaled. And what I'm, what I'm inhaling is what you just exhaled. And that can be from thousands of miles away. Because we are not made up of this form. This form makes us think that we are different, but in energy, we're all the same. And so how would we treat each other if we knew we were all the same? How would we, how would we treat each other if we knew that the way I treated you actually affects me because you are me? We've grown up believing the lie is more, is so easy to believe. We call it the truth. And the truth is so hard to believe. We call it a lie. Because how can we actually believe you and I are the same? Look at you. You're over there. I'm over here. You're a young, beautiful guy. I'm an old, fat guy who, you know, who's going to say that we're the same? Right? No, true. But energy wise, we are. When you get beyond this feeling of form, which only lasts a certain amount of years here anyway. What's behind that? What's what's in what gives this form life? What what gives this form life? I'm sorry, that's my daughter calling. I told her to call at eleven thirty because we had she normally calls at ten or ten fifteen. But what's what's behind what we see? The beautiful thing about the mosaic is it talks about nothing is as it seems. Nothing is as it seems. So when you slide right. Everything that you think is, what's actually there? What would it look like if you would actually see what you could see? Yeah. What would what would that look like? Like, what would you see if you could see what you can't see? What would you hear if you could hear what you can't hear? This is not what it is that I can tell you. No, a lot of good stuff to think about. All right, brother. Thank you so much for having me on your on your show. Well, thank you for for uh, spending your time with me and 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 schooling me on uh, on 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 that uh, on your perception and your or your perspective. Uh, I, I actually I, I was really thinking about it. You know what I got what I, what I have to say is that you know you I've talked to a couple of uh, uh, Jewish uh, gentlemen and. I, I I love the way that that you guys bring stories into uh, uh, what cool. you try to um, how, your explanations on stuff. I, a, a rabbi I, I had it on my show uh, earlier on, uh, Elon uh, Glazer, and the same thing. He would you know just reference the Torah and 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 like the, you know other rabbis. I guess when you're growing up as a, a Jewish child, you get you get a lot of these stories, right? Hold on, hold on one minute. Hold on one minute. That's my daughter. I got to talk to her. But, so I told her five minutes. But but stories are so powerful. And and I was one day away from being ordained a rabbi. So I know stories. Yeah, yeah. And to be a good storyteller means that the story that comes out of my mouth is not the story that you hear. As soon as it comes to my mouth, you start to piece it together to be your story. And you start to relate to it as how does that affect me? And you create a story for my story. And they're all just stories. Yeah. 
I I just I I, I appreciate the I appre- I can appreciate the the culture in the way that uh, the that it expresses itself. Thank you so much. Um, all right. Well, go ahead and uh, uh, give me your your places and spaces if you want to uh, plug your book. Uh, it, I'm gonna also have you do it in the uh, send me an email with the show notes, uh, everything you want to appear there, and a picture of yourself so I can put in the promotional art. Absolutely. My my websites are danielbrucelevin.com and themosaiconline.com. My book is available on Amazon with with COVID going on. Uh, they're not shipping like they used to. So I have a place on my website where you can purchase my, my book from me and I'll sign it. And I'll also throw in a bracelet that says, be kind to you because I found that the uh, being kind to ourselves a 21 day challenge of being kind to ourselves literally changes everything about our life. Um, and we'll ship it out as soon as, as soon as we get it. So it's easy to do. All my social media links are on my website. You'll be able to see that. And I really hope that people who hear this will contact me and just talk because here's the beautiful thing about what Sean does and what I think I do. One change of of perspective, seeing one thing differently changes everything. You're absolutely right, brother. I'm going to let you go so you can go talk to your daughter. Uh, Thank Thank you you so much. Be in touch, brother. Bye. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.